filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome, GOAT. Uh, this is Phil of Uster, the Black and Red United podcast, and you know from the intro what is happening. Uh, Chaos. Adam, Chaos. Adam's, yeah, yeah, Adam's left us unsupervised. Uh, it's, it's me, Jason, and Ben uh, saying Chaos. Um, we don't have Adam. Uh, Adam's feeling under the weather. He had a lot to do today uh, that had nothing to do with what we do here, so uh, he has uh, taken to his bed uh to recover um hope he's doing better tomorrow by the time this uh come or whenever this comes i don't actually know uh it might be, be tomorrow Pro- okay ben says tomorrow ben's the one that does it so it'll be tomorrow um and we also kind of had a last second uh thing with a uh, guest uh that did not work out which is not really anyone's fault but uh this is how you end up with a show where it's just the two of us um so you and uh, i if if you are if you are an Adam only stan, if you listen to this show, uh, in spite of Ben and I, you probably should get out now because no one's coming to help. Uh, there's no nope. aid coming from around the corner. We're not gonna have a lot. This isn't a bit. There's not a last second person jumping in. It's just me and Ben. We're gonna figure out what we're gonna talk about. We we know some of the stuff we're talking about. DC United, yeah, sure. Played a real game. They have another real game uh, in a few days. We're gonna talk about those things. Uh, but before this terrible intro gets worse, uh, start with our normal question. Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a bourbon spritzer. Uh, it's bourbon. It's uh, uh, seltzer water. It's lemon juice. It's, right. it's nice and refreshing. It's it's good. It's good drinking. How about you? Yeah. Uh, that sounds pretty agreeable. I uh, so I went to um, on Sunday. I took off from soccer internet. Uh, other than to send one tweet, uh, one negative tweet about Phil Neville. Um, <laughs> uh, but then I went to a friend's house and we just, we were hanging out in his yard, playing lawn games, cooking out, really good, really nice time. The kind of thing that we can start to do again, because this was a uh, gathering of people who have had their uh, rounds of vaccinations. Um, and as one friend was leaving, he left one, he had one beer left in the six pack he brought. And he was like, I'm just going to leave this, someone take it. Um, and what he had left was something I thought about buying, but it was an IPA. And I was like, I'm still not ready to come back to IPAs because everything's an IPA and I'm, I'm still tired of it. But I took the extra beer because our host had plenty of leftover beers. He's like, just take that one. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to drink it. I don't need it. Um, it is a uh, union brewing from Baltimore. It's their Steady Eddie uh, IPA. It is named after Eddie Murray, the baseball player. Do not say Eddie Murphy. It's not the same person. Different dudes. I mean, yeah. Uh, Eddie Murray, apparently very good at baseball. Uh, the can tells me uh, he had many hits and home runs. Um, Eddie Murphy, known for comedy more than baseball, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, going to offend anyone, but in my experience, the one guy's a baseball guy, the other guy's a comedy guy. Uh, the beer is pretty good. Uh, I'm not uh, the the IPA aspect. Steady Eddie is a good name because it's like 
this is a steady, easy drinking IPA. It's not like, like New like England or West Coast. Uh, I think this is more of a West Coast. It does have a little bit of a haziness to it, but it the can does not pick one. It just says steady okay. Eddie IPA. Um, but it's got the stuff that is good about an IPA without the stuff that is obnoxious about many current IPAs. It's very citrusy. Um, so I dig it. If you see it out there, it's got a picture of uh, Eddie Murray. He's got some pretty pretty wild mutton chops connecting to a mustache uh, facial mm-hmm. hair. Um, so you'll recognize him pretty quickly. Uh, so if you're looking for an IPA that is not preposterous, this is definitely one that you can choose. On to the soccer. DC United hosted a soccer game. There were fans at the soccer game. I was at the soccer game. It felt not quite normal, but kind of. I wasn't that... able to watch the soccer game live. Yes, we, we should probably and talk we'll get about to that, that aspect too, because that is not that part is not good. There is some good though, and the the good news is, after a pretty miserable first fifteen minutes, uh, DC sorted themselves out. Maybe they got a little mad after conceding the goal that they did, uh, and ended up coming back with a two-one win. Uh, Brendan Hines Ike on his debut scored a wonder goal. Russell Canals scored uh, on a really nicely designed and even better execution uh, from a, a set piece uh, that was not an accident. Uh, I did ask about this after the game, and Canals said it was something he and the team had worked on. He and Gressel communicated uh, just before Gressel went to go bring the ball in uh, from the it, corner. It looked it looked planned. Yes. Like on, uh, and, on replay. It looked yeah. planned. This was they I don't know how much the rest of the group was looking for it, but those two were definitely looking for it. Um and then DC kind of saw the game out. The second half, uh NYCFC had a couple of looks, but not a ton. I think Chris Seitz made one very good save and a couple of other fairly comfortable saves. They kind of saw this thing out. Uh Ben, what were your, your first impressions of the Aaron Lozada DC United? Yeah, my thoughts were were similar to yours. The first 15, 20 minutes were hectic is what I, how I would call it. They were chasing it. They were not comfortable yet. They got scored on. uh, And that was, that was, that was in the balance that, that made sense, but they were able to figure it out and they put away two goals back to back uh, that, uh, Brendan Hines, Brendan Hines, Ike goal was just a blast. That was wonderful. Like I, I feel like he was a little frustrated by his role in the first goal, the 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 NYCFC goal. Like mm. I, I wouldn't say he was at fault necessarily, but I could definitely see like he might have been angry at himself for what happened, how that goal happened, and. I'm glad that he was able to soon after that just write it and just blast a goal uh, into the back of the net. And then, yeah, like we were saying, that uh, 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 what, like five, six minutes later, that Russell Knauss goal, like it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great goal, but it was just like, he put uh, uh, Sean Johnson the wrong way. He put his foot exactly where it needed to be, and it put the ball right where it needed to be. Uh, and yeah, it, it ended up being a, a great goal in and of itself as well. So they did what they needed to do. And then they, like, after that, those first 20 minutes, they started real, like, 
they were flying around the whole the whole first half and and second half but really after the that first goal after those first 20 minutes they started just like shutting things down and they made it really purposeful uh i looked at uh uh, joseph mora in particular and i feel like joseph mora had a great game I i felt like he was defensively excellent and he he just he just made everything a problem down his side of the field uh so yeah i think they're starting to figure things out and if this is a baseline if this is their first game of the season under a new coach and they still win two to one against a perennial contender in MLS. I'm, I'm hopeful for the, for this season. Yeah, because it, it leaves them with a lot of room to build and that there are some, yeah. definitely some things to build on. Um, oh, sure. You know, when you look at, I, I'm just scrolling through some of the, you know, the MLS soccer site redesign has come, has lost some of the things I liked the most about the old site. I, I have so many, I have so many sure. issues with this and, and we don't need to get into them, yes. but um, uh, my, all I'll say is maybe test your site redesign before you just throw it out there. Yeah, that's, that is definitely an issue. Um, I will say though, I do want to give them credit. The past network that they've uh, added is something that I think a lot of people that they know, you know, we've seen their writers share the passing network uh, from time to time. Um, I'm glad to see that got added in. And one thing about this, as I'm looking at it, is um, if you're looking at this network, it's a, a series of progressively thicker lines indicating how, how often a player connects with somebody else with uh, their passing. And when you see Eric Sorga, the only line connecting Sorga to any other DC player is to Brendan Hike. Um, which is not what I thought I was going to see, but um, that's definitely a thing to work on. Getting that uh, number nine involved on the ball uh, because it became sure. But can I also can I also heap some praise on Eric Sorga? Go ahead. I think he was like he just he ran his butt off and he just he just like was kicking butt on that first goal. Like just him running his his butt off and keeping that ball alive is what. Uh, created the opportunity for Moreno to pass the ball to Brendan Heinzeich. If uh, Eric Sorga hadn't been uh, keeping that ball alive, that goal wouldn't have happened because it never would have uh, proceeded to get to uh, Heinzeich. So I think he had a really good game, and uh, I'm definitely seeing what uh, uh, Hernan Losada sees in Eric Sorga in this uh, in in this team. Yeah, and, and and you know this is kind of the job defensively, uh, and DC didn't have a lot of the ball, so the forwards were doing a lot of defending. That job uh, is going to require that kind of work rate all the time. And you know, last season when Sorgo was playing as the, the second forward in a four four two, we actually saw how much effort, how much defensive backtracking he was able to do. It was always no matter no matter who partnered him he was always the one being asked by Chad Ashton to drop off the front line and help uh, with the defensive midfielder, uh, the other team's defensive midfielder. So um, seeing that, you know, he he also, when he's, I I managed to watch uh, one of his Estonia games uh, during the long, long months of no MLS. And it was the same kind of thing where this is someone who is going to give you that selfless running uh, to help make it difficult to play out uh, for the other team. 
And I think for Lozada, that is a great way to get yourself uh, minutes is to always be able and always be willing to do, do the job and do it fast. Um, everything was kind of like, you got to do it fast. You got to do it fast. And so Sorka's defensive side uh, was a big plus. I, I do wish I could pull a chalkboard of that stuff up because I think that would be very helpful. But in any case, I can't, so I'm going to move on. Um, you know, one of the other issues DC ran into in this game, maybe something we're just going to have to get used to, is not a lot of possession, very low passing accuracy. Um, and this is something that's kind of, you know, Losada says he wants his team to be fast and vertical. Um, and when you want to play that way, you're not necessarily looking for your passing accuracy to get up high towards like 85%. Um, that's not really the plan. The plan is when we get the ball, we're going to take risks with it. And risks genuine generally mean your passing accuracy goes down because most likely you're not going to complete every single difficult pass for 90 minutes. That's, yeah. uh, that's not a well, thing that people do. Yeah. And I think it'll also like, this is, this is the baseline. And I right. think that once we get Steven Birnbaum back, once we get Paul Ariola back, once we get some of the uh, Felipe Martins back, once we get some of these like, really good passers back. I think it's going to, uh, it's going to go up. And as, as these players, even the ones that were on the field today, as they get more used to each other, their, their ability to know what everybody else is going to be doing is only going to go up. So yes, uh, that's definitely true about what he's, what uh, Arnon Losada is saying about uh, what he wants to do. But I think, again, I think, this is a baseline and I think it can and will go up from here. So I'm, I'm encouraged that even at 38% percent uh, possession or what uh, around there, whatever it was, they were still able to put out a two to one victory. And like, they weren't clinging by the skin of their teeth to that victory. It, it like, they didn't have that much possession, but it wasn't like, uh, uh it, it wasn't a ridiculous thing it, it, like right. you could see why they won throughout throughout the second half so, so to kind of like there's a good way to sh- explain this uh that comes from some press box uh specifics um so after the game um and shout out to kellen soong from the washington city paper but uh i got my recap out it was out very quickly because and and the and he was like wow that was so fast and he was we were laughing about it but i was like you know the the reason it was so easy to get out so quickly is that in the last 15 minutes dc didn't really have anything to stress about um the stuff the stuff i had to had to do from a writing perspective uh and a coverage perspective during those last 15 minutes was like watch andy nahar uh and see if he was going to come in or not um which we'll talk about in a second yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll I, I, I thought, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, keep an eye on him as to whether he's going to get to sub in or not because he came back and forth from the bench like three times. Um, keep an eye on the other subs, see if anyone else is going to get the nod. And pretty much after that, it was like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, curse myself by writing a headline before the game is done, but it was like I could kind of write it. It seems like NYCFC is kind of cooked. Um, and it's it's, you know, some of it, I saw Ronnie Diala after the game really say that he was disappointed with how they played and said, he said they were too predictable. And I think he's right. They were, um, 
He also wants his team to get forward very quickly, but his team was trying to go forward in straight lines all the time. And so it was very easy for DC to solve that, you know, not allow NYCFC. Once they came to grips with it, first 15 minutes, like we said, real bad. Um, you can't really play that yeah. le- that way too often and, and only get out with one nothing. Um, but once they solved it, once they got sort of more locked in on what was coming at them, they really didn't give up a, a lot. I mean, I'm looking at the expected goals and, and it does show, you know, NYCFC with 1.2 and DC with only 0.5, but over half of NYCFC's expected goals came on their one goal because it ended up being a tap in from three yards, according to expected goals. Um, sure. DC, uh, I think had a fairly good argument or a fairly com- um, compelling argument that Brendan Hines like got fouled um, that Castellanos yes. doesn't get his foot to the ball unless he, and I'm not even 100% sure. I didn't look at, I, you know, the game's going on. I can't just set, set up and watch the replay 900 times, but uh, I wasn't entirely sure that Castellanos even touched the ball, but either way, I think there was, if that's at midfield, it probably gets called as a foul. Um, so I was a little, I, we got to one thing we did get before I, I, we get into this Andy Nahara situation. One thing we did get was a, a return to normalcy in terms of MLS officiating uh, because well, I mean, it's Ted uncle. Come on. Everyone, what can you expect? Everyone in the building was very mad at Ted uncle, um, which, uh, you know, I, I tweeted from the account and I was like, you know, because people were booing uncle and then Castellanos did something and people started booing Castellanos. And it was like, wow, it seems like these are the two villains of the day. Uh, but most of the replies were like, no, it's Ted. We're more mad at uncle. We are mad at Castellanos. We are more mad at Ted uncle. Um, I, I, I'm sure we'll hear more from Losada and some of the new players on this topic as the season goes on. Um, understandably, didn't really want to get into refereeing on the night of a win. Uh, you don't really right. want to get bogged down on uh, that situation. You don't want to pull a Portland uh, Portland Thorns um, if you can avoid right. it. So, especially when anyway, you win. Yeah, it, it it was a nice evening, and DC handled it the right way, which is to be like, "Wow, wasn't it fun to you know start to play the new style and and." win the first game with the new coach and Andy Nahara is back and et cetera. Let's feel good rather than being mad. Um, So we brought up Andy Nahara enough times. We got to talk about it. He only played, you know, from the 88th minute. So about seven minutes real time. Um, But Ben, what were you thinking when you, when you saw him finally actually up and coming in? I mean, I loved it because I mean, as anyone who has listened to this podcast for a long time, anyone who has, uh, uh, followed this podcast as long as we have been podcasting. Like, we love Andy Nahar. Anyone who has followed this team since the Andy Nahar days, I would assume loves Andy Nahar because he's wonderful. Uh, he's the biggest homegrown uh, sale in DC United history still, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, like... <sighs> He was just a revelation in 2010 and and just continued it since then. He's a wonderful player. And then to have him come back after uh some some hard years, some injuries and some hard years is is wonderful. And then like he comes back as a uh center back, like he subs in as a center back in this game and just like he he was he was fine. Like he, yeah. he like he locked it down in the last couple of minutes and and did the job that he was asked to do as a center back as a it, it was great 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the whole time when, when, cause he, like I said, he had come down and they almost sent him in. Um, they had him put the, the training penny back on. He went back to staying loose. He came over again. He went back again. Um, but the whole time with the lineup DC had on the field, I was trying to figure out, you know, what is this going to be? Um, because at this point in the game, uh, Tony Alfaro had already gone down with cramping uh, about 10 minutes before he'd gotten back up and was toughing it out. And it was like, you know, DC didn't have, uh, as far as options coming in off the bench, defensive options. The only actual person we think of as a defender that was available was Jacob Green, who has not played an MLS match before. Um, right. So it was very unclear to me where or who Nahara was going to replace, where he was supposed to go. It, you know, with the way the game ended, I was kind of thinking uh, they are, they'd already brought in uh, Roberta and Perez as subs, so you're not going to pull them out. I thought maybe it would be Edison Flores, um, given that Flores, uh, he looked, he started to look tired before anyone else, but then sort yeah, of yeah, like, yeah. he sort of stayed at the same level of tiredness while several players went past him on the downslope. Um, right, yeah, which was exactly. fascinating because um, he looked he looked out of it at like the 55th minute, but then never looked worse, which is a strange thing. But my <laughs> right. thought was Nahar will replace him. But then Alfaro, I, I saw him say something to the bench. So I think he was like, look, my leg is just about done. Um, so you might want to get me out because if we have if I have to turn and chase, I might not be able to. Um, right. And then even when that was when that came up on the board. I was like, okay, maybe it'll be Nahar. Who, who, on the yeah, left. Are they going to move Canal? Yeah. I, yeah, I thought maybe Joseph Mora would slide back there and Nahar would, would set up on the left side, or maybe Perez would move into that wing back role and Nahar would be further up. Yeah. But then Nahar just went where Alfaro was and didn't tell any, or he wasn't like pointing to anyone, or there was no reshuffle. And I was like, well, the ball's kind of out of bounds. Maybe there's like another thing going on. And then play resumed. And, no, he just yeah, that, did not, and that was just it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I thought that was a really – I would love to know more about what went into that choice. Uh, but, you know, fortunately, the full the full shape, the full defensive management of the game by that point had not only – DC was well set up at that point. They were comfortable in what they were doing. Uh, I also think, to be honest, that NYCFC looked kind of defeated at that point. Yeah, um, they did. And so Nahar didn't really have a ton to work with or a, a ton of work to do. He had to connect this some really a great and, way to come back, to come back. And, and yeah. like, especially after how many injuries he had, like right. that's, that's a great situation to come back in and a great way to just like see it out. Like you, you just have like a great, uh, uh, 10 minute, uh, uh, shift and you do a good job and your team wins the game. Yeah, um, you know, the only way it could have been better is if there had been more people there to cheer him on, but uh, he right. got his standing ovation from the people that did show up. Um, I also, I want to, now that I'm thinking about one of the one of the aspects of having um, fans back in the stadium is also the stadium announcements were a little more excited because it just, it's hard to replicate the oh, natural yeah. excitement uh, when you're by yourself, when, when the only cheering coming around is from the bench. Uh, when you have actual fans cheering, the announcer's going to have to project over them, et cetera. One thing I did enjoy, uh, I found kind of amusing, was that when Heinzeich's goal went in, he didn't say goal DC United, he said golazo DC United. Um, So the stadium announcer is making the call on whether things are golazo or not, um, which I I think is a nice touch. Um, As well he should. Doesn't always have to be so dry. It can be a little fun. Um, Yeah. Before we, I don't know how long have we been going. I'm cognizant that we... 
we could end up doing a show that is 300 minutes long. Um, so I, I guess one other thing, or not one, but like, I guess we should touch on all the newcomers. You know, we mentioned Alfaro getting the call very quickly due to a, uh, what Steve Goff reported was a heel injury to Donovan Pines. Uh, I think they expect him back for the weekend. So it's, it's a short-term thing rather than a long-term thing. Um, but yeah, Tony Alfaro has been there for a, a few weeks. It's not like he was, he was signed yesterday or, or um, Friday. He had been with the yeah. team for a little while. Um, but he's new. Brendan Hines like is new. Uh, we got to see Adrian Perez and Nigel Bertha sub in. So they made their debut as well. What did you think of the newcomers overall? Uh, I thought like I, I'm I'm fairly happy with them. I thought Heinz Eich, like most of the players, I, I, I felt he had a rough first 20 minutes, but I felt like, I mean, even past the Golazzo, which was mm-hmm. great. I thought he, he got into the game and he was like, it was interesting. Cause like he was one of the wide center backs mm-hmm. and he was up in the attack a lot of the time. Like he was, he was part of that attack like a lot of the time. And that, that that's, I'm sure that, uh, uh, Hernan Losada, uh, gave him that, uh, responsibility or gave him, at least gave him that ability. So that is an interesting, uh, uh, shading to what Hernan Losada wants to do. Cause like, he was way up there a lot of the time and I think he has the athleticism to do it. So it seems like that'll be a part of uh, DC United's uh, uh, attack and, and possession is that uh, center backs are going to get up. And I would love to also see Donovan Pines as a part of that because Donovan Pines has just as much athleticism, if not more than Heinz Eich does. And to see, him a part of that as well once he's healthy it would be uh is going to be uh, uh very interesting as well so i liked what i saw there um uh, and yeah i liked what i saw from basically everybody like i i think th- those are the ones that had the most impact um roberta didn't have too much time uh to 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 make an impression i'm still curious to see what he's able to provide going forward especially since he's a big signing and i feel like there's going to be some not conflict but there's going to be some competition between him and ola kamara i don't think at at least at the end of the year i don't think both ola kamara and najora bertha are going to be on this team i feel like one of them is going to be gone in the next off season. And it'll be interesting to see which one of them proves who's going to stay and which one of them goes. So, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm, I haven't had much time to look through uh, what other data is out there from other outlets. Um, but one thing I did notice was that Roberta came in and he and Perez came in at the same time. And you think, okay, this is a defend from the front kind of move. Like we're going to freshen our legs and we're going to stay committed to pressing um, and get some guys in that are there. And Perez, that was definitely what was going on with him. Um, And Roberto was pressing too. But one thing that was interesting to me was that he was connecting more of his passes and trying to maybe trying to help be a possession pivot. And so he's trying to bring guys into the attack a little more by like presenting, getting the ball with his back to goal and then laying it back real quick. 
um, to just try and take some, you know, give them less time uh, spent chasing the ball and more time actually having it. Um, right. Perez, I, I want to give credit to for um, late in the game, I think the 86th minute, maybe right before Nahar came in, having the track all the way back uh, deep into the box. And he made a pretty critical block of a uh, cross that could have been a really dangerous play, um, which, you know, Perez is known for being a hardworking kind of forward. And that appears to be his role with the team. He's not necessarily going to take, he might get some starts as the nine, but he's not going to take Roberta or Camaro's job full time because he's probably not going to be goal dangerous enough. But if he can be, a factor defensively, if he can help this team press effectively, then he's probably going to continue getting his regular looks in a similar uh, role to what we saw here. Yeah, and I mean, okay, it, it, seem, it seems to me like, like we always talk about like upgrading uh, uh, the level of players. Like we originally started talking about this, about Stephen King, mm-hmm. uh, however many years ago, talking about the standard. And I, th- I feel like, he has he has a good shot to be like the up the uh, upgrade over U- Ulysses Segura that takes this team again another level up because he does things that Ulysses Segura does but does them ten twenty percent better. Yeah, that would be good. Uh, that would be I think an ideal outcome. Um, you know, we're we're judging him on what was it? Uh, yeah, of course. You know. 16 minutes so it it is it is interesting though to have have him in there and playing kind of a similar uh set of positions whether that's part of the front three or he played some time as a wing back in preseason he can play up front he is that kind of you know if if you want to draw a direct parallel who replaced Ulysses Segura Perez is probably the guy that is should be top of your list now his minutes might get chopped up between Perez and Griffin Yao and and Nahar but um but but that's also good Yes, yes. Um, and yeah, th- you know, thinking of, you know, as you said with Heinzeich, um, the the aggression with which DC is going to play in terms of willingness to throw numbers forward means that he's going to get into a position like where he scored his goal from pretty often. And uh, I don't think he's going to hit all of them. And I don't think he's going to produce right, yeah. many shots like that. But what he will sure. be able to do from that spot is now now that it's established that he can do that, you might have defenders being willing to step out to him a little more, and that opens up something else. Um, right, and, and and next time, and next time, maybe he runs up like that, and then just passes it off to Edison Flores, and then Edison Flores scores. Right, the the, the adding establishing that you have this thing in your back pocket can you know that confirmation bias can play in your favor, um, and I I think that's it. I thought Alfaro did fine. Um, you know, I, I think having a left footer in that spot is kind of a big deal that um, it's it's an interesting situation for DC because uh, until a burn bomb comes back, they don't really have anyone that is an established, even like it's Alfaro's left footed and then everyone else is a righty. They're not like a righty who can can use their left pretty decently. They're righties. Right. Um, so that might be a situation to watch where, Alfaro might not be as talented as Pines or as Heinz Ike, but uh, because he's a left footer in this formation where he's going to get on the ball, like it's, it's a passing situation that it might be worth watching. I don't think he's going to become a starter by any means, but we might see games, especially at home, where maybe Losada takes the chance and says it's more important to have 
a left footer passing out of this role and we'll take that risk uh, as opposed to, you know, maybe a more conventional MLS coach would say, I'm playing my three best center backs and that's that. Yeah. And to uh, put a button on the passing and the back line, I did also notice just like it was in the preseason, like this team is trying to play out of the back. These uh, central defenders, the three central defenders need to be good passers because like Heinz Ike needed to pass a lot. Uh, 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 Fred Briant needed to pass a lot uh, and Alfaro needed to pass a lot. So I think that's going to be a key thing going forward. And um, it, it showed tonight or not tonight, but on the game on the weekend. Yeah. To to throw in with, with this point um, about playing out of the back, um, one thing that popped up in the final, you know, media call before the game uh, was the, the the phrase risk avoidance. Um, and I think that for now, that's going to be a thing DC is doing where they will play out of the back. But there's also an aspect of and we saw, especially at the end of the game, um, there's one play in particular where uh, DC was kind of struggling to they kept creating 50 50s, but they weren't quite didn't have the legs to quite get there in time. And eventually NYCFC gave one up where the ball went right to Heinz Ike, and he correctly sensed that the team was scrambling and they needed a breather, and they also didn't have a way to pass their way out of trouble. So he just chipped the ball over everybody into NY. It was it was a hockey thing of like a dump and chase. It was just like, get yeah, it out of yeah, here. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't a clearance. It was just a, we need a second. We need to reset. I'm just going to thump it. Um, and I don't think that's going to be how DC approaches games down the road. Um, but in this in this phase where they're still learning how to play Losada system and they're still building the fitness that that requires, we might see some of the more veteran players on the team opt for something that simple where, where it's like, we're, we're in a little trouble. I'm, I'm putting it long and, and it, we're going to keep it in bounds and we're just going to try and get back to our pressing structure rather than chasing the ball. Well, yeah, and and it was a planned thump. It was, yeah, uh, yeah. like it was, like it it was considered, and it was just like, yes, we need to reset, and I'm just gonna chip it over everybody, and we're gonna just take a couple seconds, and then we'll be able to like get back into what we want to do, right? And, and you know, I I think my my main takeaway from this game, more than anything else, is that uh, despite not having a lot of the ball, despite the having less, much less familiarity with the, the system than NYCFC, who had a pretty much an, a nearly unchanged lineup from last year with the same coach. Yeah. Um, despite giving away that familiarity, despite Losada saying, you know, it's going to take some time to get the system uh, right. It's going to take us time to be fit. We're not good. Like he's saying, he's said over and over, the results might not be very good uh, for, for the first little while. And he's not even judging on results. He's very process focused right now. Despite right. all of those things, DC ended up kind of dictating the way the game was to be played. Um, they they were the ones that that until they really started to get tired and NYCFCs. If you if you look at when the passing accuracy starts to tail up for them, it really kind of corresponds with when DC was just a little too tired to really disrupt. But for most of this game, the the majority of the game of uh, minutes that were actually in, you know, being played. DC was the one, their tactics, their approach was forcing the, the game that DC wanted on NYCFC rather than the other way around. Um, and that's, once they got, and once that's they what we've always wanted. We want, 
we've always wanted DC United to dictate whatever they want to do. And like, it doesn't have to be like DC United has 70% possession and plays tiki tacky. Uh, but what we've wanted is DC United's uh, uh, method to dictate the run of the game on their opponent. And yeah, after the first 20 minutes, like, yeah, they, they still didn't have possession, but their, their mindset and their uh, gameplay dictated this game. Yeah, they were disruptive. Uh, they were first to a lot of things. They were winning challenges. They were, um, you know, Losada said after the game in the little, uh, one of the multiple uh, clips that the team put out that they were going to be annoying to play against. And they were. Uh, I guarantee Effing that. annoying, I believe, I, is what I he guarantee said. that NYCFC's players were like, I don't enjoy, I'm not having a good time playing against these guys. This sucks. This is irritating me. Um, good. And look, it's not necessarily you know, my ideal dream for a soccer team sure. to play that way. But what's important right now, especially coming off of a couple of years where uh, it wasn't just, you know, last year was just ineffective and boring. Uh, 2019, they were just good enough at defending, but it was also, it, it was a style that I'm even less enamored with, which is just a, um, we're going to defend and hope that somehow we get something out of the game. Um, so to change styles to much more of a, vicious high press much more of a making the game chaotic and tense uh and difficult for the other team um if you're going to do it you better do it right and you better be successful at it and for this first game for the, for this starting point this baseline as, as we've brought up now a couple times they did it they were really kind of a pain in the ass uh, and it worked so more power to them uh hopefully they are as miserable to play against uh in the coming weeks as they were in this one because if they get fitter and they stay as locked in as intense as they were from after the NYCFC goal to halftime, especially, uh, then this is, this is a viable way to succeed. Uh, and this is and get, all, and get all of the play and get all of the players who are currently injured and on the bench back. Like, mm-hmm. can you imagine uh, Paul Ariola like buzzing around as a part of this team? That's going to be great. Yeah, I feel like people are not going to be uh, particularly pleased uh, on other teams when, when he gets back in and is is joined into this sort of a whirlwind high press. Uh, he, they're not going to be pleased about it. It's not going to make the, the first team that has to deal with that. They're going to be like, come on, man. Couldn't we, couldn't we have played these guys like two weeks ago? Um, <laughs> right, exactly. That's, and that's, that's a great place to thing. be. Yeah, that's the style. And it's nice to see it actually panning out. Uh, I think... That's uh Ben, do you have anything to add about this past game, the game that has happened? Uh the only thing I have to say is uh after the second goal, uh please, Fred Briant, don't tackle Russell Knaus like that because I don't want you to injure him, please. Yeah, that is a that's a big man uh to be crashing into you. Um Fred Fred is not just a center back in name. He's he is a genuinely large uh and powerful man. And he like and he like took Russell Knaus down and please don't do that anymore. It was a, a real NFL style tackle. Um that uh I, I think I, I hadn't really noticed it, but I heard someone else being like, Oh wow, Knaus just got like crushed by the mob when he was in the goal celebration and I went back and looked at the replay. I was like, oh, yeah, he really did. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do. I am remembering one thing that we did say we we're going to bring up. So before we move on, the TV situation for DC, we talked oh, about how yes. good 
we talked about the good news, the big picture good news, uh, and a lot of it was good. Back on uh, a cable TV network that just about everyone can get in HD if you've got cable. Um, most of the area seemed to have no problem, but there were some parts of the area that did have a problem. And Ben, I know you yep. actually had to endure this. Uh, so I did lay, lay out what you went through. So, uh, yeah, um, there were, uh, we got the information from the team about what areas were going to be blacked out from streaming on DCUnited.com, but were in theory going to be able to stream it on, if you weren't able to stream on DCUnited.com, you'd be able to stream on ESPN+. And then the game happened, and then there were a bunch of people, myself included, that were blacked out from both DCUnited.com and ESPN+. And uh, I was looking around on Twitter, and on the Virginia side, it was Virginia, it was Hampton Roads, it was Norfolk, it was as far as Roanoke. It was... It reminded me of the blackout region from Comcast Sportsnet, for example, mm. which makes sense because NBCS, NBCSW is the successor to Comcast Sportsnet. So that doesn't surprise me, but we were just told that it was going to be this way. On the Maryland side, I uh, read things that like, yeah, people in Annapolis, people in Baltimore, mm. people uh, well outside the uh, what was supposed to be the blackout region we're getting blacked out as well. So it was not, it was, it was yeah. on both sides of, right. of uh, the DMV. And I, I emailed DC United. They told me that uh, their intent is that everyone who was blacked out, who was double blacked out, uh, will be able to watch the game on dcunited.com this weekend. But it's a, bit of a snafu just that like like this shouldn't have happened they should have been able to just figure it out uh yeah going forward that's not like uh, i know they they announced the deal late but that's not that big of a deal to figure out that's just something you, you that's that should just be table stakes to figure out so it, it it's annoying that uh it happened to a bunch of people myself included um i was trying to replay the game on espn plus this whole week and even today mm -hmm. uh today is tuesday i was not able to watch the replay on espn plus i had to use a vpn to vpn out of the dmv to uh be able to watch the replay on espn plus because it's still blacked out locally and i'm just like Ugh, this this needs to get figured out because this sucks. And I'm I'm wondering if it's actually just going to turn out to be that everybody in the broadcast area of NBCSW is going to be blacked out, which is, is what I thought originally was going to happen. And then when they said that it was a much tighter blackout, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But mm -hmm. we'll, we'll just yeah. have to see what happens going forward. As you were talking about this, I pulled up ESPN Plus and opened the link to the DC game uh, yep. and I am still getting the, we are unable to show you this game, blah, blah, blah. Yep. That, that's exactly what I got. And then yeah. I, uh, I, I tried it twice. Actually, I VPN to New Jersey and I VPN to Texas and mm. both in both of those locations uh, that uh, ESPN plus, we are unable to show you this game switched to, I was able to watch the game. Right. And, and you know, like you said, this is a deal that came together late. Uh, I am. I think we're both kind of assuming that that has something to do with it. Maybe it's just yeah. 
no one checked exactly where you know what what protocols are in place i don't even know the tech technology but also that, go ahead that, that's a right but that's also that's a big difference like yes. if you look if you look on our site i i made a uh a map of what dc united told me was the blackout region and then what was actually reported it's hugely different like right like Roanoke isn't anywhere close to the blackout region and it got blacked out. Like Baltimore like has millions of people that in on the map are in the blackout region, but are, but are in reality blacked out. So it's, it's something a team hopefully uh, is going to address with uh, NBC sports Washington quickly uh, because this Saturday, for example, looking at the map that we have and looking at where people were saying they were blacked out, I will, I would, if it, if it holds for another week, then I would probably have to get resourceful in terms of watching the game Saturday to cover it. So um, definitely something that if, if you're in those parts of the, the DC United uh, fandom, if you're in those regions, you know, I would say keep monitoring it and, and, you know, consider contacting your ticket rep. If, if you've got one, things like that to ask, like, and also, you know, what's going on? Cause they're going to have yeah. to get it straightened out, and it's probably something where they can't fix it themselves. They probably have to go to the broadcast partner and say, like, the following things are wrong. We need you to fix it because you have the various levers and pulleys and whatnot that have to be pulled and twisted um, because yeah. that, that stuff isn't at the stadium. I know that much. Well, sure. And if you don't have a ticket wrap, please, like, like I don't often say this, but – if you don't have a ticket rep, please at me on Twitter because I can collate all these complaints and, and uh, take them to the team because I am one of these complaints. I, I'm in the same situation as y'all. So if y'all let me know, I can at least say I have a bunch of people saying this. Yeah, hopefully hopefully next week we're talking about how they fix the problem. Uh, and yeah, good I hope job. so. Um, but, you know, it is a thing that's definitely a big concern. I, I think it, it would be remiss for us not to talk about how a bunch of people wanted to watch the team play and they thought they would be able to. And maybe maybe everyone involved thought they would be able to. And then somewhere along there, some some line of code or something is saying, no, you can't. Um, so right. hopefully they, they get it sorted. Uh, we've got we're record, recording on Tuesday, so they got four days to uh, get it fixed up for this uh, game against the Rebs, which uh, we will talk about in the next segment. Right. Say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster
back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm taking the driver's seat of of this uh, second segment because I'm going to ask Jason a bunch of questions about the New England Revolution, which is who DC United plays this weekend. One of DC United's oldest rivals. Uh, I'm still mad at them. I'm still mad at. Um, Oh crap! I can't remember his name. Who's the Who's the goalie who I hate, Jason? Um, Matt Reese. Yes, that's the one. Still mad at him. Yeah, he's he's a he's a mm, mm. and he like he has that like I still am mad about like he has that patch of like uh, of uh, smelling salts like on his chest that he would always just like waft up into his yeah, nose that, that and just, like, robe. see that greasy patch on his chest. Yes, that's become less common around the league. I think maybe at some point that has become not yeah, the thing it to do sucked. anymore. sucked. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> it's a weird thing to do to your shirt. Right, and he also just like would just like take out DC United players willy-nilly and higgledy-piggledy. Yes, he had an unfortunate history of colliding with people with his knee exposed in a way to make sure that it hits people. Yep, it, often in the head. Yes. Yeah, not great. So screw that guy. Anyways, <laughs> uh, the New England Revolution, RDC United's opponent, they tied the Chicago Fire. Mm-hmm. That's not <laughs> a great look for them, because uh, the Chicago Fire, like they're the Fire, they're like they're not supposed to be very good. Uh, but they went down two goals early. They they came back two goals uh, after that fairly quickly. They didn't seem to do a lot over the off season. They seem to stay pretty similar to what they did in 2020. So, what what what's what's the what are the uh, what are the Rebs doing? What's their what's their goal for this season? Uh, It seems to me like they are fully bought in on this group being good enough to win something. And so rather than disrupt it at all, they said, um, let's just keep it going. Uh, we're not, we're not, we're going to, you know, strengthen depth wise and add a couple pieces here and there. They, they brought in um, Wilford Captoon who played uh, off the bench uh, for a few minutes, but I think they have a bigger, a bigger role for him down the road. They just, I think he's, I'm not sure when he arrived, if he missed some of preseason or what the deal is, but um, that's yeah. about it. As far as their additions, the the only other uh, new player that wasn't there last year that played in this game was uh, Edward Kiza, their draft pick, who really should have won the game with a late uh, header that hit the crossbar uh, on a corner. Um, so not a lot of new additions. It's very much a, like, we like what we've got. I don't want to mess with the chemistry here. I, I think we're going in the right direction, and we just need to, you know, bolster what we have rather than reassemble and retool the whole thing. So it really is, you know, I don't know exactly what their lineup's going to be on Saturday, but you're not going to see some guys who are like, who's the new guy? Um, unfortunately for DC, that means that like Carlos Heel is, he is healthy. Uh, and when the rest have had Heel in the lineup since he arrived, they've been really, really, really good. Um, and when he's missed out, they have not been so good. Uh, but it seems that he is completely healthy. So DC is going to have to figure him out because he's one of the best players in the league. Yeah. Um, the team looks to that like they've released a lot of players that are at least well-known names over mm-hmm. this off season. They may be, uh, 
a bunch, a, a number of them are like past their prime, but their their names you recognize. They uh, got rid of Diego Fagundes. They got rid of Kakuta Mane. They got rid of Kellen Rowe. They got rid of Lee Wynn. They got rid of Seth, Sin- Seth Sinovich. Like, mm. well, like not players who were starting for them necessarily by the end of the year, but like those are at least like. A bunch of those players are still signing with uh, teams in MLS, and uh, all they brought in was a couple of DC United players like Earl Edwards and uh, uh, Emma Boateng. Uh, yeah, so so they did make um, they made a couple of interesting moves that kind of went uh, undiscussed uh, because um, partially because they're the Revs, they just don't get a lot of attention even when they're doing well. Uh, if we're being honest. Um, they brought in this, uh, they shouldn't, they shouldn't, but they, they, they don't. Uh, so I guess justice is served, uh, in, in, in that regard. Um, but yeah, uh, they brought in, uh, this Icelandic left winger, Arnor Traustason, who I think they imagine will be a starter further down the road, um, which will allow them to move, uh, Tejan Buchanan back, uh, into a fullback role. Currently though, I don't know what the deal, I didn't see, I was very focused on NYCFC, but Trousteson wasn't uh, on the field in this game against Chicago. So um, they ended up with uh, Buchanan playing, you know, everyone, Buchanan kind of became well-known nationally in the playoffs because of his play at right back. Um, But really arena sees him as playing any wide position, uh, wing, wing back, fullback. He can do any of those. And so in this game, he started out as their left midfielder. There was a stretch of time where they went into this like weird little like asymmetrical diamond in which uh, Buchanan was a sh- in in what normally would be a shuttler role, but he just stayed out wide, and they just sort of took the risk that that gigantic gap of space would be something they could cope with. Um, so yeah, Trostison, once he gets going, I don't know if he's going to be available for this weekend or not. I haven't gotten that far uh, in my revs research, but. He and Captoom, I think, are the the guys that are supposed to work their way in as starters. Um, they also brought in Christian Mafla to help their back four. I don't know if he's going to push his way in or not. I haven't seen him play yet because he didn't play in this game. I, I don't think he played much in the preseason. I, at least I didn't see him in any preseason lineup. So, um, right. yeah, they, they swapped out some, some guys, but uh, they were very deep last year. Um, so some of these players that they lost, you know, Lee Wynn is a good player, but he's now in his mid to late thirties. Um, right. Kellen Rowe, uh, I think arena never quite figured out what he wanted to do with Rowe and was like, uh, I, I want a guy. I know what I'm going to do with him rather than a guy. I don't know. Um, yeah. Fagundes kind of notoriously, he and the Rebs had a fairly distinct, uh, difference in valuation yes. in terms of salary. And so yes. Fagundes said, I'm out of here. Screw you guys. Um, which is not you don't want your you know, one of your or actually in their case literally their their one notable homegrown success. Um, right. No disrespect to Scott Caldwell, but Fagundes is like the guy for their homegrown program. Uh, you don't want it to end with that, him being very publicly like this sucks. I'm going somewhere <laughs> else. Um, right. And now he's he's playing for Austin. Um, but yeah, they, they they did lose some of these guys and. It, it remains to be seen if Captoom or Trousteson are actually going to be good in MLS or not. But I think it's important to point out that they played without those two big signings or supposed to be big signings this weekend. 
And the lineup they put on the field on paper still is very strong. So it's yeah. not that, you know, they're not in DC situation where you say, okay, there's a lot of guys missing. Once they get back, the team will be even better. They're at a position where you're like, this is pretty close to what it's going to be for them. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting off season that they, I, I think they were kind of penned in because they've used all their designated players. They didn't have any of those guys age out or transfer. So it became about, you know, it came a, a thing about like, well, what can we do to make sure that the guys that want to leave get replaced adequately? And by all accounts, it seems like they are satisfied. I haven't heard anything of Bruce Arena being like, yeah, we need to sign, you know, one more central midfield or anything like that. It's just sort of like, no, we're, we're, we're happy with the way things are. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, speaking of Bruce Arena, like he's an old school coach and it seems like he's putting out an old school lineup. He's putting out a four, four, two in an era where everybody like teams are even moving past the four, two, three, one, like uh, teams like DC United are now in a, a three back uh, mm-hmm. setup and, and being much more uh, forward thinking in their, in their, uh, in their lineups. But Bruce Arena is an old school coach and it looks like he's putting out an old school lineup. So what's, how, how are they making it work with a old school four, four, two? It was interesting to watch how they handled Chicago, which, you know, like you said, they gave up two very early goals. Um, but naturally because the fire of the fire, they both, they scored two very good goals and then promptly found a way to screw it up because they are just, right. they, exactly. they're hooked on the idea of screwing it up. I, I can't, the fire are more fun than they say. This is a, just an aside, but the fire are probably more fun for fire fans to watch than they were for quite a while. But they're also much more maddening because they will do something like their first goal is a gorgeous <laughs> goal. Uh, but they also then by the 27th minute had already thrown away a two goal lead. Uh, it took them less than half an hour to do this. Um, right. But yeah, what the Rebs did in this game and, you know, the when I saw the lineup, when I saw just the personnel, I thought, okay, it's probably that four-two-three-one they played a lot last year, where uh, Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill kind of switch off a lot. And Hill is technically the ten, but he's not really playing as a ten. He's looking to set his own shot up. Um, and instead, what they did was they went out in a really old school, like you said, an old school four-four-two. And when we've seen MLS teams like DC when Chad Ashton took over last year, normally you see that four-four-two with the ball. When they don't have the ball, that one of their forwards usually drops off to help the defense, uh, the the midfield. The Revs did not do this. Um, they left Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo up high, and like Arena was yelling at them to stay high. Uh, he it was an intentional thing. He wanted to occupy Chicago's defenders. Chicago wants to play. They want to have a lot of the ball. They want possession. He wanted to make sure that they couldn't build out of the back easily, and that they didn't have. Uh, a reset option, I think. Uh, and I think he also wanted to just stretch the field so that when the ball turns over, they could quickly attack. They, they, This is an old Revs thing going back to Jay Heaps, but they still kind of want to get to the point. This is not a team that wants to take You had to bring up Jay Heaps, didn't you? It always, Jay Heaps is always going to come up with the Revs. Um, <laughs> we're, we're cursed. Um, but yeah, they, they pushed they push Bo and Books. Uh, like at first I was like, okay, maybe it's just for these first few minutes, but like, Every time the camera would show their structure, it was always they're willing to have that second forward. They're taking that risk, leaving a gap between their front line and their midfield. 
Um, there's a spell late in the first half where Carlos Hill started on the right. He and Buchanan switched for a few minutes and then they switched back. And then Hill ended up playing directly underneath the forwards in that gap. And then they had, like I, like I was talking about with Buchanan, way out wide on the right. Buchanan playing as a winger uh, in a diamond, which a diamond does not have wingers, but he was out there. And so you had <laughs> right. a 10 and a winger. And then you let it was, you know, Matt Polster and Tommy McNamara are left with a billion things to do as a result of this because the gaps are gigantic. There's a gap out on the one wing. There's a gap between them and the other two midfielders. The revs are that's the risk they're taking. Much like, you know, DC is taking the risks by just throwing numbers into the other team's end to press. The revs were willing to take this this space risk. They're saying, like, we're gonna we're gonna risk giving away these spaces because we know if we get you know, Heel and Bo and Buxa and Buchanan up the field, we're going to score goals. And I think that in a similar vein to what Losada is building towards, I think Arena is willing to take a tactical risk in pursuit of goals because he he feels his team is going to be able to outscore their opponents. Um, it it boils down to that. It really does. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Tommy McNamara, a player that, uh, nerdy DC United fans have, have an affection for because we briefly had him in the, uh, Chivas USA dispersal dispersal draft. Can I I interject? There was, I asked at one point, did he ever even so much as like report to the stadium or anything like that? And the answer was no. Um, sure. they, they, They had his rights. They had his rights, and he was rehabbing a knee injury at the time, and he just stayed in California until things got settled, and they got settled with him playing for somebody else. So he never even arrived in town. Of course, but we had his rights, Jason. We had his rights. We did have his rights. And we know in MLS, rights are are important in MLS. They are, until someone else comes along and takes them off of you. Exactly. Regardless, uh, he never played for DC United. he doesn't have a mullet anymore, uh, but he's created a solid MLS career for himself. What is his role with this uh, New England Revs team in a in a four four two, which doesn't seem to like it doesn't seem to fit like what DC United fans thought of him a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. So checking back in. How does how does now Tommy McNamara fit in this system? Well, so he's he's playing the eight um, for the reps. He he is the more free to stay forward central midfielder. Polster being the holder. Um, we'll see if that is how Arena approaches DC, who play a very different approach from Chicago. Maybe this is a like for Chicago we should play like this. For DC we should play like that. Uh, we're still early enough in the season where we don't really have a good track record. Um, but I will say that he is most likely going to be the starting number eight, um, unless there's something that arena, you know, maybe arena's like, oh, Scott Caldwell should get the nod instead. But um, his role is to keep the ball moving. Uh, he is not. You're right that he's not the same kind of player he was uh, back when he came to DC, where he was known more for being a attacking midfielder. Maybe he lines up wide. Maybe he's central, but he's more attack minded. Yeah. As he's aged, he's become much more of a uh, linking player in the midfield where his job is play out of pressure, uh, keep the ball moving, get it to the other players that are maybe a little more skillful um, because, you know, MLS has gotten better. This is the other thing, you know, in 2013, yeah. 
McNamara was good enough to be a 10 on MLS teams. Now he does not have the skill level because there are guys like Carly's Hill coming into the league. And you're not, if you have to choose between who's right. going to be your 10, you're going to choose Hill. Um, so yeah, exactly. he has, he has shifted his game uh, and he has stayed uh, pretty much a regular factor for the Rebs. Uh, when he got there, it was kind of an interesting thing because you've got him and Kellen Rowe and Caldwell and Fagundes. You've got all these guys that could all kind of play the eight to some extent. And it was like, well, which, uh, who are you going to go with here? Um, it's kind of a strange one, but uh, he kind of pushed himself into the lineup almost immediately once he was traded from Houston. You know, I almost forget that he was at Houston. But oh, once yeah, he got there, yeah, he had, he had a brief spell in Houston where they, the Dynamo yeah. weren't oh. using him very much and the Rebs were very glad to have him. Um, but yeah, he kind of established himself pretty quickly and he held off Rowe. He held off Caldwell for the most part. Um, there's a reason, one of the reasons why the Rebs were willing to let uh, Fagundes and Rowe and, and Lee win all depart was that it seems like Arena is like, no, McNamara is the best eight out of this group. So that'll be his role, whether it's, you know, whether they switch back into four two three one or if this diamond-ish thing that they were doing midway through the game, if they do that again, he'll certainly be closer to Polster than he will be to the attacking uh, guys. But um, yeah, he's become kind of that uh, all-around central midfielder. Um, and he's, he keeps the tempo, uh, at the speed they want it to. So when they want to go fast, he's looking vertical when they want to slow the game down, he's looking side to side or even backwards. Um, so he's kind of that tempo setter for them now, him and him holster to some extent too, but I think it's really, that's McNamara's role is, is, you know, setting, setting the tempo and connecting the attack with the defense. Yeah. So I have two more questions. Mm -hmm. First one. Uh, Dewan Jones got a red card. He did. He's not going to be there. Uh, uh, how does that affect their back line? Uh, I mean, Farrell and Brandon By are, are fairly solid there. Uh, I th- Kessler is new-ish, right? Or am yeah, I he's, just... he's their their draft pick from last year. He yeah, ended he's, up becoming yeah, yeah, yeah. a starter. Yeah. Yeah. So how does that uh, how does that affect how does uh, Jones's red card affect what they're going to do back there? I, I I'm not 100 percent sure because the you know last year they had Alexander Butner playing a lot at left back. He's gone now. He's another player that left. Um, I think uh, what they're going to want to do is move uh, Buchanan there because you know Arena just feels like he can mm, play pretty yeah. much any wide role. Um, I think that's the move. And then after that, it becomes, you know, maybe Teal Bunbury uh, comes in on the wing because uh, he is Bunbury. still there. Um, if they want to go conservative, they've got A.J. De La Garza who can play any back four position. He's he's with the yeah. Reds now. Um, yep. So they have a couple of ways they can go about it. Uh, they can, you know, whether that's Buchanan playing right back and they move Brandon by over, they've done that before, or it's just Buchanan going over to left back and that's that. Um, those are both options for them, but it is not, it's kind of a, it's kind of a mystery right now. I, I'm, you know, hoping that maybe during the week we'll get some sort of story saying, Oh, this is what they're going to do. Cause sometimes arena will just be like, I don't have anything to hide. Every, this, I'm right. telling you what I'm going to do. This is it. Um, because he's very blunt. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think like, you know, Trousteson, uh, I, while we've been talking, I, I wanted to look up exactly what was going on there. Uh, I think he's he's still in the quarantine COVID protocol phase, so he uh, hasn't begun okay. training yet. 
So it's probably not him. Um, it could be this uh, Christian Mafla, uh, who is, I think, they intend to be their starting left back uh, down the road. Um, once he, you know, gets accommodated or gets acclimated, I should say, to MLS, um, who, you know, he was playing in the Colombian League. He's 28, so he should be in the prime of his career. But I, I don't know uh, is, is the real answer is that when right. Jones got that that late red, which was almost a penalty as well, um, and actually right. was a VAR, it was a really weird sequence because they went to VAR, didn't overturn the red card, but then without giving the VAR symbol, Fotis Bazakos was just like, well, the, the foul's outside the box, guys. Um, <laughs> which was, you know, classic MLS where it was just kind of like casual, like, oh, you know, we're just going to move it back a little. And like, well, if you move it back, it's not a penalty anymore. He's like, yeah, I know. Uh, so don't worry about it. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a curious situation because Jones has a like, like a lot of the revs and maybe this is an overall thing with the revs. The revs have a ton of speed all over the field. Um, you know, Farrell is fast for a center back, uh, Buchanan and Brandon by and Jones are among the fastest guys in the entire. I feel league. like, I feel like Brandon by often just, just destroys dc united he's played well against dc um hopefully now that dc is a very different proposition that that will become less of a factor that would be nice i hope so um but yeah it, it is kind of a mystery because mafla i i don't believe mafla was even in uniform for this first game but now the position he plays is wide open uh because of a red card so it could be mafla right. it could be buchanan um, it could be De La Garza if, if Arena was like, well, they throw a lot of numbers forward. So I want my, my, um, my left back in this game to be more, more in the savvy stay at home type rather than someone who's constantly getting forward. Cause De La Garza is at an age where he's not overlapping a ton, um, especially yeah. at left back. So maybe that's where they go. But I, if I had to bet, I'm betting on Buchanan, but it could be any of those guys. It could also be something else like Arena every once in a while we'll just do something weird and be like, Oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see because, uh, he's not, he's not playing against one of his proteges anymore. He's playing, right. he's playing against a brand new coach that, uh, nobody in the league has experience against. So, uh, I feel like he could know for, for some, some way, shape and form what, uh, Ben Olsen was going to do because he helped train Ben Olsen and he doesn't have any of that with uh, uh, Hernan Losada. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. So Jason, uh, this is our typical ending question. I know you're not a yeah. uh, New England Revs uh, 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 fan, but if you were uh, Bruce Arena, mm-hmm. uh I know you would dress better than Bruce Arena. I know you have better, especially I know you have better shoe uh, expertise than Bruce Arena does. But what would you, uh, how would you uh, uh, game plan against DC United? One thing I would definitely be worried about is the fact that DC is going to get more pressure to the ball than Chicago um, means that the Revs haven't really, I don't think the Revs have experienced uh, the press that, I mean, they did play one preseason game against LAFC. So they've at least seen someone that's willing to high press you um, to some extent. Um, But yeah, I I think if I'm arena, I want my team to 
keep it simple, keep the ball moving, lots of one and two touch, and eventually wait for the moment DC overcommits and then play the switch. Um, NYCFC's goal came from a perfect example of this, where DC overpressed on a throw-in, and it, it wasn't a conventional switch. It was really just a heel flick that ended up with DC entirely shifting to one side and the ball going the other way. Um, yeah. That's the ideal if I'm Bruce Arena. Um, that's what I want to create is these and moments then, where we can draw DC one way and then swing it the other way. Um, that's what I'm looking for. And I, I also think Arena's, his history shows that he's going to value those moments to such an extent that he's willing to take risks to get them because he knows that those are such high leverage moments that you can create big scoring chances. And he's not worried about, oh, are, are we going to have X number of, um, you know, attacking third entries per player per 90. It's not a big data thing for Bruce Arena. It never will be. It never has been. No, no, um, no, no. What he wants is he wants his three or four chances where Carlos Heel has time and space to play the ball to Adam Buxo here or Gustavo Bo, who killed DC last year every single time, yeah. um, has his chance to have a go. I mean, Gustavo Bo is going to have a go regardless. Uh, if he gets the yeah. ball, he's going to shoot it. Um, but you want to get him into better spots if you can. Um, but yeah, that's what they're looking for is those big leverage opportunities. I don't think Arena's too concerned about dominating the whole game as well, as long as he his team gets their big shots in, that's what they want. And then switching it around, if you are if you were Ernan Losada, how would you uh approach DC United's uh it- if I were allowed to don the uh, the varsity jacket, uh, the, oh, oh, we haven't <laughs> talked about this, but that jacket rocks. That jacket's wonderful. Every, everyone loved the jacket. Um, yeah, I, I think it helped. It, it helped quite a bit that everyone is very much like got the like starry eyed emoji for uh, Losada in general. Um, yeah, that's true. And and he came out with a a club shop item that I think a lot of people just haven't seen. Um, and people are like, oh, what's going on with that? Um, and also, yeah, he's he's a good he's a good looking man, and he rocked it well. There's no denying he is a handsome man. I hope that uh, that um, Jillian and Susanna from the MLS call up. Uh, I saw their uh, preseason uh, uh, coach dressing uh, power rankings, and I, I think yep. Susanna Collins had Losada on hers, but kind of low. Um, I think he's going to move up uh, pretty quickly, especially if things are going well. It doesn't it doesn't hurt to win while. Uh, you're showing up right, with your, uh, exactly. your sideline drip. But um, no, I, I think DC needs to make sure that these risks that the Revs take spatially, if, if they want to play two up front, if they want to leave those two guys up high, you have to make sure that the game is about the fact that you can have five or six in the midfield against their four, more so than it is them having two up against your back three. Um, so it's really about dictating where the game is played and leveraging your overload against your like you want to hide your risk while leveraging your overload um and so that's becomes that becomes kind of a cat and mouse is that if this is about the revs having two forwards and carlos hill uh feeding them then that's bad that's not going to work for dc if this right. game is about that gigantic gap that the revs are willing to leave between the lines then that's good um i hate to sound like the um the Gremlins parody character from the Simpsons, but it, it, it might boil down to that simple where uh, if this is a game where DC's pressure is keeping the Reds from, from finding those two forwards very much and is, is again, dictating the terms without necessarily having a ton of the ball. If they're just 
so hard to play against that the Revs can't do the things the Revs want to do, uh, then DC is probably set up well because as much as you know the Revs have drawn some praise for turning, you know, Brandon By was not a particularly highly regarded player coming out of the draft. It was like, well, you know, it makes sense to draft him, but maybe he needs a year or two in USL. Who knows? They got a got a starter out of him. Henry Kessler was not even regarded as maybe the best center back in that draft pool. And he has become very quickly the most sure established starter in that draft pool. Um, so they've done a lot with these younger guys, but that's not to say that they are a lockdown defensive team. Um, as I was saying with arena's preference to, you know, kind of risk it all to get his best guys, their big chances risk it all means they're risking it all. They are giving it, they're going to give away some, some spaces that are not, you know, a defensive team would not give away. So uh, punish them on that. And I will also throw in that the Rebs are very bad defending set pieces, but against Chicago, at least, they created, they had a goal from a corner, they had a header off the crossbar from a corner, they had another chance that I think Adam Buxa headed just over that he should have finished. Um, so at least after one game, they look like they're very good going forward on corners. They've got some targets, they've got good delivery, there's some invention there as far as the the moves that they use to get books mostly free. Um, Kessler is a good secondary option, but at the other end, they are not very good at defending set pieces, and it doesn't seem to me that that's going to change. They're just not going to be very good at it. Um, I don't know if Arena particularly has a lot of focus on this, other than to be like, don't give up set piece goals, don't lose your man, that kind of level of uh, intensity, right. um, which is an old school approach. It's not you know, there's a data-driven approach that would be very different that he's not going for. So um, the good news for DC, they showed some quality on corners. Julian Gressel's delivery was good. They have their first set piece of goal of the year. I don't think they're going to score one quite like it very soon. Um, that might be a uh, once once in a few months kind of goal rather than a uh, something you can keep re- repeating. But, um, you know, I was encouraged. I, I asked Russell Canals after the game about the goal. Um, and he said that they have several different set piece routines and it's something that they want to focus on. So I was encouraged to hear that. Uh, I'm, I don't know if these are Losada and Frutos, uh, plans that they brought with them, or maybe this is now Chad Ashton has less to do and he can, cause there was a year in there where DC was very good on set pieces and Chad Ashton was kind of like taking the lead on that front. So maybe he's got some stuff now that he has less on his plate. So therefore he can be like, I focused more on this set piece thing. Um, we don't know and yet. And there are because, new assistants as well, so. Right, so so I'm I'm interested to see that because it is potentially a big vulnerability for the Rebs going one way, but at the same time, DC will, it wouldn't shock me if we see DC bringing everyone back on a corner. Um, if Losada's risk avoidance theme continues in these early weeks of the season, the fact that the Rebs are able to produce what they did in week one from corners means that you're going to want to make sure that you're doing whatever you can to make sure that doesn't happen to you. Um, the fire, they're committed to uh, making, you know, having bad things happen to them. It's just their, their right. weird little way of, of doing business. I do not think DC is feel similarly. I think DC wants to be a team that doesn't shoot themselves in the foot while they're building whatever they're building towards. So don't be shocked if it's like, maybe Sorga stays up by himself and he's the only one, or maybe it's literally 11 guys coming back. Um, but yeah, that's, that's an area to watch for sure, because I think DC has an advantage in that overall, but I'm also, the fact that the Reds were so good on corners in week one does have me wondering if 
I'm maybe a little overconfident in thinking that maybe it's like both ends are both attacking teams will have a major advantage and both defensive teams might have something to worry about. But that's a it's a big thing to worry about. I'm sure it's something that they're going to focus on because if you watch that Rev Chicago game, which is a game that you can get to spool up uh, on ESPN Plus right now, uh, at least where we are, um, you will right. see that the Revs, it's not just the goal. It's kind of every corner they take ends up looking like, oh, no, they're, they're, Chicago is in deep trouble again. Well, let's end it there. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of Filibuster. Uh, uh, even without Adam, uh, we we just did it. We just did the thing, and we uh, threw some goats in there, and uh, we, we did the thing. So uh, Adam will be back soon to help uh, wrangle us into podcasting glory. Uh, you can find us at blackandredunited.com. You can find us at uh, 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 twitter.com slash filibuster dcu you can find us at patreon.com slash filibuster if you want to support what we're doing uh sometimes this season we're gonna give uh early access to uh certain segments on our patreon channel uh with with Adam not being here with, with Adam not being here this week we are not able to do that this week but we're going to do stuff like that in the future. Uh, all of a, a lot of the content will be available for everybody. Uh, but you, if you are on our Patreon, you'll just get a little early uh, and you'll help us support this program and help us keep doing it. This is the 450th episode. <laughs> and if you help us keep doing it, we'll, we might do 450 more. Uh, if, if you at Adam about this, uh, He'll, you can make him do 450 more episodes. So just <laughs> at Adam about this. Um, that That's all for tonight. Uh, uh, I am Ben. Jason is Jason. Uh, for the absent Adam, who is uh, uh, doing his thing, uh, this is Filibuster. Say goodbye, Jason. At the underscore AMT, uh, fill up Adam's notifications. Yeah, just just crushes notifications.